This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put, oh, he's going hard. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson, in studio with producer Mal Pal. Mallory, what's up? Hey, trying to stay cool. Yeah, trying to stay cool. It's going to be 100 next week. <sighs> yeah, don't remind me. We will be in college And we station. won't be even be here. We'll be outside in College Station uh, all week. Oh, <laughs> God, for State 7 on 7. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's that time of year. Uh-huh. Um, not in studio, but still with us, Mike Craven. Mike, what's up, man? Still here. Yeah, <laughs> I am. I am still with y'all, so that's that's good. Uh, made it to Yellowstone, the appropriate week. I don't know if y'all saw, but it got washed away basically. The whole park's closed, so I, I oh. did a good job of planning that. I did not see that. When man. did that happen? So, like, I think Sunday or Monday, like a bunch of rain came in and combined with snow melting, it like created this huge like river current and took out some of the roads and stuff. So they've like shut down oh, the park man. for for safety or whatever. Oh. So. Uh, luckily, about... I did not go up all the way up there just to sit in uh, West Yellowstone. So right. it was good timing on, on yeah, my end. Good timing. Yeah, definitely. Um, so as, if you guys followed last week, you know, we revealed the cover. We, we Me and Craven had a, a very uh, a candid, anxiety-filled <laughs> uh, episode over our stories, uh, of our cover stories that we did over uh, Jeff Trailer, Joey McGuire, and of course, South Oak Cliff. Uh, my cover story, my secondary cover story went live on, uh, behind the paywall on Monday. Um, so we're letting that obviously with, with the magazine delay and all that, we're putting that out for subscribers to read early. Uh, we will hint that Cravens will be coming soon as well. Uh, we don't have an exact date on that, but we'll be also doing the same thing with his. And yeah, if you, if you enjoy that and you can't wait to read it in print and you can't wait to eventually read Cravens as well, uh, be sure to subscribe textfobo.com slash subscribe. Make sure to, uh, get all that content. Cause we'll be, like I said, we'll be doing things like this because we know the magazine is delayed for people who aren't subscribers, uh, who wait for it on retail. It'll be delayed obviously until later in the summer, uh, late July, early August. So we'll be doing things like this to give you a little tease, to be able to give you some content and hold you over until you guys can do it, uh, until you guys can uh, read it for yourselves. We also do. You have... feel better with it out now? Yeah, I do feel a little bit better with it out. It, it, it's you know I haven't gotten any 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 bad feedback. So well, that's good. That's always good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I definitely yeah, it definitely is a weight off my shoulders when when uh, from when Tepper told me okay, it's up to like now where mm-hmm. it's like okay, I'm I'm a, I'm calm. I'm yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. We uh, we also have some exciting news. Um, I'm not going to share it yet. I'm going to yes. share it at the very end of the episode. Mm-hmm. So please stay tuned until the very end to figure out what we've got in store for you guys. Yeah. Uh, also, I can say that we'll, we have in store for you guys next week. Next week. Yeah. As yeah, soon as next yeah, week. Yeah, so. so actually less than a week, six days because sure. it's going to be on Tuesday. Yeah. So there you go. There's, <laughs> uh, stay tuned for the end of that, for the end of the show to be uh, to be given that that yes. bit of news. Uh, but we do have a we want to continue our uh, interview series with uh, uh, writers around the state previewing slash reviewing 
school, uh, the 12 FBS schools. And this week we have Matthew Bartlett on from The Roost, covers uh, Rice. And uh, Craven t- talked to him, uh, I believe, a day ago. We're recording this on Wednesday. He talked to them on talked with him on Tuesday and we'll discuss a little bit about the owls afterward um, after we play that interview. All right. We don't have many headlines. Um, nothing crazy. Kind of it's conference realignment, uh, more uh, solidifying news, I guess. Nothing really crazy or new dropping, but uh, just before we started recording conference USA, the schools that are leaving conference USA for the AAC rather finalized and made official that they will be leaving in 2023 for the AAC. Of course, that is the Texas schools, UNT, Rice, and UTSA. Of course, in addition to Charlotte, FAU, and UAB, they will all be leaving. I believe they will be official members on July 1st, 2023. They made that official. That Mm -hmm. was rumored, uh, I believe, last week. That was kind of the the rumor. Um, And now that became official today. In other realignment news, uh, Craven has a piece out that's very interesting whenever in regards to the new look Big 12 coming out. So this is kind of the thing we're going to hint we're going to hit on a lot for this uh, intro segment. You look at the rankings for 2023 recruiting. This is recruiting rankings. And you're seeing a lot of old and new guard Big 12 teams littering the top 50. And even if you want to go below that top 90, <laughs> you're looking at Tech at number two, Cincinnati number four, Baylor 13, TCU 15, right? That's just the top 15. Craven, you you have a really good piece up right now on TexFootball.com about what it means for the Big 12, what it means for recruiting, what it means for the pecking order, and kind of, especially in like a, a team like Cincinnati's case, kind of the need to push into that upper echelon of a new Big 12. You know, what was your initial, when you were writing this piece and when you were kind of researching, what were kind of your initial thoughts about where this conference is and kind of where it's going? So I find that the new look Big 12 without Texas and Oklahoma to be fascinating. And one of the reasons is, is if we look at every major conference, I think even if we went to the G5, but specifically if we look at the Power Five, you can find a couple superpowers in every single place, right? Like the ACC's got Clemson, the SEC's got Georgia and Alabama, the West Coast has USC and Oregon. The Big Twin, Big Ten has Michigan and Ohio State. The Big 12, you know, was run by Texas and Oklahoma. And again, this isn't always on the field, but this is just in terms of perception and recruiting rankings and, and all that kind of stuff. Well, when you take away Texas and Oklahoma, it becomes really clear, look, there's not this, like, obvious answer to who is going to run this conference in terms of talent acquisition. Like, who is going to be the big dogs on the recruiting trail? And so it was like, okay, let's go see you know, what this is. And when the, the further and further I got into the numbers, it became more and more obvious that, yeah, this, this conference is going to bring parity to college football in a way that most major conferences do not. Like right now, Texas's average recruit or average commit grade is over 91. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma's is over 89. There is not a single team within two points of Oklahoma's overall grade average for their commitments. TCU is leading the new look Big 12 in that category with eight, 87.78. Mm. Eight of the 12 other teams, eight of the 11 other teams that are going to be in the conference with them are within two points. So you have nine teams within TCU and none within Oklahoma, right? So there's just going to be so much evenness throughout the conference that you're going to, it's going to be kind of like the NFL, where, you know, each week it, there's not many surprises. If you tell me West Virginia, 
wins the Big 12 in four, three or four years, I'm not shocked. If you tell me Kansas State does, TCU, Cincinnati, Houston, like there's so many answers to like who's going to kind of take over and be kind of the first power of the Big 12 that I, I just find it fascinating because pecking orders are kind of assumed in college football. You know, like it, it just, it is what it is and it's always been that way, right? Like Texas is always going to recruit really well, even if they're not good on the field. Alabama's going to get who they want. Clemson's going to get who they want. Ohio State's going to get who they want. Well, what's going to happen when that power vacuum kind of goes away and it's everybody fighting for themselves? I think coaching is going to become, you know, a, a big factor. Like right now, I'd say Nick Saban has to coach twice a year, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, maybe three times a year. Well, if you're Texas Tech, you got to coach 10 times a year. You're not going to have any, you know, kind of like pushovers or anything like that because your talent level isn't going to be all that much different than the sixth, seventh, eighth best team in the conference. And so uh, I, I, I think recruiting, you know, isn't the end all be all as we've seen, you know, just because you recruit the best doesn't win, mean that you win the most. Mm-hmm. But I do think it gives an idea of what high schoolers think of your program. And right now, if you look across the Big 12, it, it looks like there's a, uh, like a pretty split opinion on kind of who are the best, who are not the best teams in the Big 12. You know, if you take away Kansas, maybe even BYU because of the way they have to recruit, you know, there's just 10 teams just stuck right in there that could win the recruiting battle on a year-in, year-out basis. And we don't see that anywhere else in college football in terms of conferences. Sure. And I, I should hint, you know, like – when you look at these rankings right now, obviously they're different in terms of they're, they're going to be different, right? When teams start playing, when, mm-hmm. in, you know, recruiting momentum either picks up or dies down, um, you know, like tech, I, I can, I feel confident saying tech's not going to necessarily finish number two, right? In the, in the rankings when, when we're done with national signing day, but what it does show is like, obviously an initiative on the staff's part right now to really hit a lot of these guys hard, right? They have 20 commits. I believe that might be the most in the country right now. Overall, everybody else is dealing with like, more or less 10 to 15 mm-hmm. right now. Um, so it shows initiative. But also, that's not to say that Tech's going to lose all of these commits either, right? Like, let's say Tech, let's say Joey McGuire goes six and six, right? He Or wins six to get, or let's say even five. Let's say he maybe miss a bowl or just maybe barely get to a bowl. I think he's, the recruits that he's getting now, they obviously know that they're not going to go out and win 10 games, mm-hmm. right? They're not going to be expected. They're going to be like, oh, man, they only won six games. This team's not good. I'm not going to go. You know, I'm decommitting or whatever. He's selling them on what what you're mentioning, Mike, about like the new Big 12, right? He's selling them on, hey, this year, you know, don't judge us too much on what we got going on right now. Wait until you guys get in, right? These are players I'm kind of uh, trying to coach up right now. And, and you know, it's going to be a kind of a mixed bag first year. But I can I can almost guarantee that. Joey McGuire selling them on, hey, we're going to be competing for a Big 12 title within the next five years, like right. easily. And I mean, if you, yeah. if you go back and look at the 2021 rankings, I mean, Texas Tech's at 54. Right. You know, the year before that, they're like 47, 48. So even if he drops to say, even if Texas Tech finishes, you know, 23rd mm-hmm. in the country or whatever, sure. that's a huge, huge step forward and just like a huge announcement of intention from Texas Tech and from the players across the state, high schools across the state saying, we believe in what's going on in Lubbock. And if you take away Texas and Oklahoma, I think there's no more of that cap of like, we can't go win a conference championship here. You're going to play second fiddle here. Like Joey McGuire, Dave Aranda, Sonny Dykes, Dana Holgerson, they can all go into recruits homes and be like, Hey, you can come compete for conference titles here. And if you win a conference title here, you go undefeated, you can get into the college football playoffs. Cincinnati did it from the American. We can do it from the Big 12. And so I think this perception nationally is that the Big 12 is left for dead now. It's just a G5 conference. Like 
Texas and Oklahoma lose, leaving makes it, you know, kind of like the American, you know, plus or whatever. I just don't find that to be true. I, I mean, I think Cincinnati is a heck of a program. Houston has all sorts of potential. Uh, I just think it remains an intriguing conference. And I think especially because there isn't that ability to kind of just like note two teams that are going to be kind of the leaders year in, year out. Okay, here's a question. So if you're Cincinnati, if you're Houston, if you're BYU, how serious do you take this last year in the American? Uh, I mean, well, I, I, I would right. say, before Craven, I would say if you're Houston, I think you have to kind of strike while the iron's hot in terms right. of like this is your roster, this is your year, right? Cincinnati's somewhat reloading, right? They lose Desmond Ritter and so they lose Sauce Gardner on the on the defensive end. So like they're they're not the same juggernaut as they were last year in terms of that uh, group of that that upper echelon group of five year. Um, Cincinnati, I think you still obviously want to go in with some momentum. If you can't, mm-hmm. you, you very much like outside of Houston and SMU, like you're very much right there in that NAAC race and. I would think you'd want to go in pretty, pretty aggressively and show the Big Twelve. Like, if I'm Tech, if I'm Baylor, if I'm the other schools in the Big Twelve, and I see Cincinnati make the playoff without having the the allure of a Power Five conference, right? Or if I see Houston potentially about to do that, mm-hmm. I'm a little intimidated, right? Yeah. Once they get in there, and then they have that. You know, Houston and Cincinnati are both right now. They're selling recruits on, hey, by the way, we're going to the Big 12 and right. we're going to be able to compete. Look what we've done without that pull, without that conference that conference leverage. Now look what we can do, right? And so I think they're going to want to continue that momentum and be able to sell that and be like, look, you know, Houston, if they win if they win 11 games, be like, look, we did that without you guys, right? Without the caliber recruit that we probably can get for in the Big 12. And so I think that they'll want to absolutely try to crush it this year. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, Cincinnati sold out their season ticket allotment for the first time ever, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Houston is trying to build that momentum. You know, I, I think on the football field, a lot of the stuff has been figured out. It's behind the scenes, right? It, it's funding, it's facilities, it's attendance to the games. Yeah. You know, Houston, US, UCF still have a ways to go in that regard. And so, you know, winning a lot of football games this year, competing for a conference championship this year, I think not only helps in recruiting, obviously, but it helps kind of the fan base, the alums, and just the people in the cities to go, hey, we need to start taking this seriously. They're about to take a step up in competition. You know, they're ready for this. Look how good they've been doing the last couple of years. Let's go buy season tickets. Let's donate a little bit of extra money. Let's let's see what we can do facility-wise. Let's see if we can help with NIL, right? You know, in Houston, Central Florida, uh, Cincinnati, that, those kind of places that are kind of growing in terms of college football markets. There's a lot of untapped potential in all of those places. Another good year in 2022 only helps springboard that into 2023. I think that's the same. I think it's also true for the Conference USA teams moving towards the American, but for different reasons. Like mm-hmm. if you're Rice, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, you know, you, you're kind of taking a, you know, we're about to move up in, yeah. in competition. We're not winning at the Conference USA level. What do we need to do with our coaching staff? Same thing in North Texas. If you if you don't feel like you're competing in Conference USA, can you really feel like you're competing with the American? Uh, I think UTSA may be in the best position that way just because, you know, they, they won a conference championship last year. They signed their coach to a 10-year extension. Uh, but I, I do think this year, you know, it's not a make or break or anything like that, but I, I do think it's one of those things that you want to have as much momentum as possible as things get harder and harder. Yeah, one more thing um, on this before we switch over to the to the to your interview with Matthew Bartlett. I do want to ask about the SEC a little bit because you mentioned how Nick Saban, you know, only coaches basically, you know, obviously hyperbole, but more or less only coaches like three times a year, right? Where he really mm-hmm. has to get out of bed. Um, with Texas and Oklahoma going over, do you think those two coaches in Steve Sarkeesian and Brent Venables 
are the type of coaches to be able to make Nick Saban like to to use that as a barometer, right? Are those two coaches that would make Nick Saban work? Like in my opinion, th- those they didn't make those hires without the intention of moving to the SEC, right? I think that Texas had Lane Kiffin in mind, like in terms of like the the style of coach, right? The offensive coach, uh, they didn't have they had Lane Kiffin in mind. They had. Uh, uh, t- teams that gave Dick Saban issues, Gus Malzahn at Auburn, right? That offensive mind when they made the Steve Sarkeesian hire. I think Oklahoma, obviously they were putting more of a, a last minute bind with Le- Lincoln Riley leaving, but I think that they had something similar in mind with what Kirby Smart's doing, right? One of the best defensive coaches in the game who knows how to combat these offenses and they go get somebody obviously familiar with the program in Brent Venables. Do you think those two coaches are guys that are capable of 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 getting you know Nick Saban more or less is like oh I got to take up got to got to get ready for this one right do you think that I mean we'll obviously see it this year with Steve Sarkeesian in Texas but um just kind of what are your thoughts on that yeah I mean I think the answer is no honestly like mm-hmm. I think the higher you move up in college football the more it becomes about talent and the less it becomes about X's and O's mm-hmm. and the Big 12 is going to be a parody conference because everything's so even that's not true in the SEC. There are haves and have-nots there. Yeah. There is a clear separation between the top and even the middle to where, you know, we're going to see it September 10th for Texas versus, versus Alabama. Mm-hmm. Even if Steve Sarkeesian calls the game of his life, there's not much he can do if his offensive line can't block Alabama's mm-hmm. defensive line. Like, there's just, there's just not much he can do. And, and that's what I mean by Nick Saban doesn't have to coach all that often, you know, compared to, you know, like, uh, you know, small, you know, like in Conference USA where everything's so even. You know, it comes down to coaching a lot. Yeah. And the SEC, I mean, you can, if you've got Georgia's roster, if you've got Alabama's roster, that gives you some margin for error that you just don't have elsewhere. If Texas and Oklahoma's rosters improve to that point, then yeah, I mean, I think both of those guys are excellent coaches. Brent Venable is one of the best defensive minds of a generation. Steve Sarkeesian, you know, there's a reason he was hired as the offensive coordinator at Alabama, right? Like everybody respects his ability to call games. To me, it's more about, for them, it's more about, catching up roster wise specifically in the trenches. And, and until that happens, I just don't know how much somebody like Kirby smart or Nick Saban or even Jimbo Fisher is going to sweat the additions of Oklahoma and, and Texas until, you know, they're, they're as good, if not better, you know, offensive line, defensive line than they have been over the last decade. Mm-hmm. All right. With that being said, we're going to move on to our interview now with the roosts, Matthew Bartlett. Uh, like I said, uh, this is our continuing our interview series where we're interviewing a bunch of writers over after after spring, after all that's settled, and kind of before everybody starts getting into fall camp. Uh, we'll be pre- uh, of course we did I believe uh, Texas State and Kef Chardello first, and so now we're going to move on to Rice. So without further ado, here's Mike Craven with Matthew Bartlett. Here with Matthew Bartlett at theroof.com. Thank you, sir, for coming on talking a little Rice football. How are things going on your end? Absolutely. It's a pleasure. It's, it's June. Kids are getting back on campus. We'll have fall camp sooner or later, and then it'll be football time again, just like that. What is kind of the level of optimism? I know coming out of spring, it's usually pretty high anywhere. Just compared to maybe the last couple of years, where do you kind of you know rank this team's optimism going into the fall and into the summer? Uh, I think from a team perspective, that's the one thing that this group has been just as, as optimistic and positive as, as anybody could ask. So I think they really believe with where they're at. They think uh, kind of within the walls that it was a couple bad injuries and a couple overtime bad bounces that kind of kept them from getting the bowl game they wanted to. Uh, I think on the outside, kind of there's some measured measured optimism. Uh, last year was supposed to be the year and, and folks uh, are not yet, but uh, 
getting itchy for uh, things to, to finally be delivered uh, like they were promised. You know, how would you grade or even describe kind of the Mike Bloomgren era so, era so far? Incomplete. Is that fair? I think if you're going to look at it, you're going to evaluate a coaching staff. Um, there's really, really only two prongs, right? There is progress on the field, wins and losses, and there's recruiting. Um, are, are you getting the victories and are you getting the talent? And from a recruiting perspective, uh, three of the highest graded classes in the 247 recruiting era um, and, and Rice program history have been recruited by Mike Bloomgren. He's recruited the highest rated players, um, multiple to sign uh, that Rice has ever had. Um, and, you know, Jake Bailey, Luke McCaffrey, uh, a couple other guys that have come in. So the talent is coming in the door. It's better than what was here before. Check that box on the field. It's in there. Um, so it's, it's both pieces. Eventually, if the, if the winds on the field don't catch up, um, you know, you're out of time. So I think so far, like we've said, again, 2022 is going to be kind of the, you know, prove it or lose it season of, of, can you translate half of that into, you know, the ultimate goal, which is the wins. You know, I'd say Seth Luttrell at North Texas, Jake Spavadal at Texas state are kind of coaching for their jobs for lack of a better phrase going into 2022. Do you think that's the same with Bloomgren that, you know, he needs to reach a bowl game or be 500, get to a winning record in order to kind of be the head coach of this team as it transitions into the American conference? I think the American point is a, is a good, interesting, you know, kind of an inflection point for a lot of programs making, you know, all six of them moving to the AAC um, other than, you know, UAB and UTSA. I, there, there's some uncertainties there. Uh, I think what what Bloomgren has going for him is uh, AD Joe Carlgard. Uh, tends to be pretty one on the analytical side, as you can expect at Rice. So um, if there's anybody that's going to say, you know, you went five and seven, not six and six, uh, here's why it might be Joe. But at the same time, uh, you know, at some point after so many years, you got to get there. So I, I think if he doesn't show tangible signs of, of progress and deliver on those expectations, then, yeah, I think he's kind of run his course. Um, bowl game is the expectation once again. Um, but it's one of those things, you know, uh, I think this administration doesn't want to make the mistake of cutting bait too soon when they see, uh, you know, the building blocks that you're supposed to see. Um, so <laughs> wait and see. You know, week one against USC, obviously a tough game. Who do you pick to take the first snap under center offensive wise? You think it's going to be Wiley Green or TJ McMahon? Are you asking me or are you asking me what I think the coaches are going to do? I'm asking you. If you ask me, I'm putting TJ McMahon uh, under Cinder. Um, he's kind of, you know, I, I kind of labeled him a gunslinger uh, into last year. He's the kind of guy, he threw an interception in that final game against Louisiana Tech that should have been the nail in the coffin, put him down two scores, and then led two touchdown drives in the fourth quarter and got him the win. So he's not going to be perfect. He's kind of raw. He hasn't played a lot uh, of D1 football. Um, but I think he kind of, you need a spark and Wiley Green has been with this program for, I've lost track of how many years he was in Bloomgren's original signing class at this point, uh, led the, the win over UAB, which is the largest win this program has had under Bloomgren. So he's, he's got some goods with him, but we've also kind of seen, you know, he can get sped up and maybe the upside isn't there. So yeah, McMahon might not have it. He might not be the answer, but at this point, you know, you talked about coaching for your job. I, I'd rather go out playing all my cards. And I think McMahon is a bit 
you know, we don't know the upside or the downside yet, and it's worth trying. Yeah, I, I'm of the opinion we talk too much about quarterbacks a lot of the times when we're talking about programs. But, but in Rice's case, it almost feels, and you correct me if, if I'm wrong here, it really does feel like the quarterback position hinges so much this year. I, I, Ari Broussard at running back is going to be really good. I think everybody feels pretty good about that offensive line. I think I could argue that the wide receiver position is better off today than it was this time last year, even with Jake Bailey entering the transfer portal. Is it fair to say that Rice's success in 2022 kind of hinges on whoever emerges at that quarterback spot. I mean, yeah, you, you mentioned it's cliche, but it, but it really does. And we talked about this, uh, I think back in the spring when I was chatting with you, uh, if TJ McMahon does uh, take a, a starting snap at any point this year, he'll be the 12th different quarterback to start for rice since 2017. You're like, Wow, Matthew, that five years, 12 quarterbacks. Yes, they've had three different starting quarterbacks uh, in a handful of seasons under Bloomgren. And it's not been, you know, this guy's been ineffective, so we'll bench him. There's been a couple of those, but it's been injuries and just, you know, weird sets of circumstances. And they haven't been able to get any sort of offensive consistency whatsoever. I think you kind of saw the inklings of that uh, under Coach Tui, OC brought in last year. But you really just need, you need one guy um they've kind of done that experiment where you have this guy to run in and come in and he'll run kind of the option plays the running plays and Wiley will be the drop back guy but I think you just ride with one guy and see where he gets you because you know Rice hasn't had that opportunity yet defensively it feels like this group could be one of the better units to come through Rice in a long time what do you consider the strength of that that unit the defensive line or the secondary I think they both kind of would argue with each other on who's the who's the better group right now yeah it's it's a good problem to have right um I think uh Akina and Ichikuru and Debraylan Carroll um you put them at, at edge and nose that's going to be a a havoc wrecking pair that we haven't really seen because uh, you know they haven't been on the field together because Debraylan was out last season uh, and that's they got Isaiah Floyd they got so many pieces there on the defensive line that I think could be difference makers. And then the secondary, uh, Jordan Dunbar really kind of came on last year, kind of guy we thought would be you know, buried on the depth chart. And, you know, he defended Traylon Burks in the Arkansas game. It did like went man on man with him at the goal line and won. And, you know, Traylon Burks is playing in the NFL. So Dunbar is going to be great. You got uh, George Nyakwal, who's now missed back-to-back seasons. Trayshawn Chamberlain was out last year. He just had so many pieces that, that the the best iteration of this defense under Mike Bloomgren uh, was probably at the tail end of the 2019 and 2020 seasons. Um, and even the 2020 season, they didn't have most of their safeties back. This has been a, a battle-tested, worn-out unit the past two years. But, you know, knock on wood, going into the fall, this time, uh, everyone's healthy. And if you have, have all those pieces together, um, shoot, you might even have depth. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, does Rice have the depth to kind of overcome the injuries that are going to come with playing football, right? Like, I think that was one of the things I asked Bloomgren when I was there for for magazine stuff was like, how do you feel about the depth? And he seemed to be pretty honest about it in terms of we haven't had it before. We think we have it now. Did that bear out to kind of you when you were watching where spring where maybe that next group of guys was better than the next group of guys was maybe in 2019, 2020? I think so, because in years past, it, the defense has been so good that because every part of scrimmage, you know, you do the ones versus ones and then you do the ones versus twos. Um, 
and for whenever it had been the second team offense versus the first team defense in years past, uh, you know, stick it a fork in a good night. It's, it's over. We saw the second team offense. Uh, you mentioned some of those wide receivers. Uh, you know, you put Luke McCaffrey in there uh, and just hand him the football. It didn't matter what other 10 guys are on the field. So we saw some sparks there. And then they had guys like, like Jojo Jean, who, you know, was probably the fifth, sixth, seventh corner on the depth chart going into spring. Uh, they only have three corners active for a, a scrimmage and he steps up and is, is you know, going one-on-one with the best receivers Rice has. So I think that's an encouraging sign because you, you know, the bones, especially in defense are good to be able to see the twos and the threes come in and, and hold their own, uh, you know, against playmakers like McCaffrey um, and Trey Patterson. That's, that's encouraging. So I think that the, the second level is, is better than it's been in some time. Uh, it would be nice not to need them immediately. That's what Rice is hoping for. What is your, I'm going to put you on the spot here, you know, kind of what is your realistic expectations, you know, record prediction for 2022, if you had to pick right now? Uh, I think six and six is, you know, that's obviously you want to make it to a bowl game. You'd love to go win. Now, I think the upside is UAB last year. We saw Rice win on offense, win on defense, and win on special teams. I think from a roster construction perspective, this team is just as good, if not better, just from sure pieces uh, than they were last year. Uh, but you kind of got to look at the schedule, um, you know, especially starting at USC. You got Louisiana, who even without Billy Napier has been a juggernaut in years past in, in Houston. And that's that's a really tough start out of the gate and then you get on conference play and you're starting out, you know, against, against UAB. So it's going to be a tough opening haul. Um, you know, last year, year before Rice has had a, a Southern miss to kind of stick in the middle to say, you know, y'all are a couple years behind us on the rebuilding process, get a win, kind of get our feet wet. Uh, there's not really any gimmies um, on this schedule. We got an FCS game. Uh, but I think, and if you get to six and six with this schedule, I think that's kind of, you know, proof in the pudding that, okay, we got the pieces here and we can take the next step. Uh, I think certainly there's, with this staff and kind of how luck they've had, I'm not going to be shocked if they go, you know, spot down and get three wins. And I'm not going to be shocked if they punch up and they get nine. Uh, it's, I, they're not be a one win team. Uh, we have seen the consistency, I think, for them to be an 11-win team. But they're going to be somewhere in the middle, which with Conference USA, other than, you know, maybe UAB, UTSA up at the top, I think we're going to see a lot of teams in that five to eight-win range, just like last year. Yeah, I mean, we saw how UTEP made such a big jump, right? I mean, go from zero wins to one win, one win, and then, and then up to seven wins in 2021. So, yeah, I agree with you. The middle of the pack in Conference USA can go either way. You know, and then obviously I'm going to end with this, like the moving to the American is kind of on, on the fingertips of everybody, you know, because of the announcement that it's going to be 2023. Let's say I make you Rice czar, right? Like Rice athletic director for the week and you got to get some stuff done or change some stuff uh, to kind of get ready to move to the American as a football program. What are one or two things that you would be doing right away to kind of gear up for that change? 
The first thing I do is I look at uh, Rice Stadium, and that's something I'll, I'll give credit to the current administration. Uh, they're doing that right now. They put in, uh, it used to be an old concrete slab running across the bottom and just kind of looked like a, a parking garage. Uh, they've got a brick exterior going up right now. Um, it looks really nice. I think getting the fan experience um, up is going to be really important because if you want people to go to football games, especially sit outside in August and September in Houston where it's a million degrees, um, you know, you got to make it make it a, a worthwhile experience that's winning. Um, but there are things you can do when you're not winning uh, to make games fun, make people want to attend. Uh, you know, you see, I think the Sun Belt teams get a lot of credit for it. not big budgets, but big fan bases um, and small fan bases that really, really care. So I think if there's a jump, um, something that I would do, um, man, get your thing taken, pull everybody together. What can you do uh, to the stadium that, you know, was built? 80 years ago, how can you modernize it? What can you do um, to make the game day experience better? If you can do that, and man, you tie that in uh, with a bowl game, with a six, seven, eight win season this year, then you can kind of paint the story of, hey, we're moving to this new conference and we're better. You do those things together and, and man, everything's, <laughs> everything's good, right? All right, man, I really appreciate the time. That's Matthew Bartlett at theroost.com. Uh, enjoy your work as always, and, and we'll catch up, I'm sure, before the football season starts. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Thank you very much to Matthew Bartlett for sitting down with us and chatting about the Owls. Uh, Mallory, while I pull up his – I was going to pull up his uh, Twitter so I can plug that. Uh, do, you have, do we have any questions about the Owls? Our first question, can Rice win enough games to keep Bloomgren around? That's going to be tough. <laughs> I think this is I think this is interesting, right? Because it feels like it's got to be six. Like it, it's a 500 season, a bowl game, or bust. And you just can't move into a better conference while underachieving in your current one, in my opinion. And, and four or five years is, is enough to figure it out. And if I'm Rice and, and we win four games or five games again this year, I think I'm taking the out as moving into another, another conference as a way to kind of transform, right? Like maybe – in normal circumstances, you would give him a little bit more time, but with you moving to the American, you can go, hey, we haven't reached a bowl game. We haven't had a winning season. We haven't even had a 500-win season. With us moving up in competition level, we got to go find something else. I think this is a make-or-break year for Rice, and I'm not sure with the way their schedule lines up if it's possible to get above five wins. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I wonder too because I'm also looking up his numbers, and I believe he uh, Bloomgren signed a five-year deal in 2018, so he'd be heading into 2023 in his last year. And coaches don't do that, right? Coaches don't typically head into their final year. right? And so I believe there is an ultimatum coming, and like you said, I think this is a good way to kind of if they do make a bowl, boom, extension, right? There you go, right away. Um, if they don't, I think it's kind of a good way to say to kind of have a clean break and I guess the toughest question to me is like, if that happens, where do they go? Right? Like, what is the what? Who is the Rice head coach? Who's the head coach to lead a program like Rice and all of its unique uh, attributes into the AAC? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, like we thought Bloomgren was he ticked all the boxes, and and you know, obviously, we see how tough that job is, not being able to get it done in Conference USA. Well, who's the guy that you bring in to be like, okay, here's the better coach that's going to win in the tougher conference. <laughs> like that's what, that's what becomes confusing for me. And that's almost why I, I can't, that's almost why you can't blame them for keeping Bloomgren this long because like 
who it's else not, is it going to be if it's, it's not, not Bloomberg? Right, it's about That's to say, it's not, it's not like there's like, you know, what, do you go back to the Stanford and get another Stanford assistant coach and mm-hmm. have him deal with the similar situations? And yeah, I don't know, like to me, it's almost like a, I don't say can't win, that's the wrong way to put it, uh, can't win situation, but it's almost like a, I get the hesitancy, mm-hmm. right? And I understand it because there are obviously unique recruiting uh, uh, circumstances yeah. for Rice and it's just a, historically, it's always been a tough job. Like there's a reason why Bailiff was such a loved figure there is because he was able to get it done. And like, you know, over, over the course of some years and even him, it took a little bit for him to finally get it, get them going to a point where he kind of fell to his own expectations, right? They win conference USA one year, they make a bowl game uh, uh, consistently. And then all of a sudden they don't do that because again, it's rice and they're not going to be a team that's going to win eight games, seven, eight games every year. And he ends up, you know, leaving because he, the, his own expectations and his own standard kind of caught up with, uh, with Bela in the end. The hardest way to win in modern football is power football. There's a reason that the air raid has taken over college and high school. It's just simpler. It's easier to do to get space. You can recruit quarterbacks and wide receivers a lot easier than you can recruit offensive linemen. To me, that's the problem at Rice right now. They're trying to play smash mouth, hardcore, old school football. And there's only about 10 programs in the country who can recruit well enough to do that on a consistent basis. There just simply aren't enough six, seven, 300 pound athletic offensive tackles out there for Rice to get and to continue to do this every single year. Like they're playing with very small margins of error. So if I'm asked what I would do, if I'm like running Rice, I'm going in the opposite direction, right? Like I'm going pure air raid or I'm getting Paul Johnson on the phone to come run the triple option like he did at Georgia Tech, which is another, you know, really good academic institution that he had to deal with in terms of like getting guys in and stuff like that. Like I'm not running the I formation or single back. I'm I'm not doing tight ends. I'm not running full backs. Like there's no way I'm going to pound my head against the wall against teams that can can recruit better than me with a system that requires really good recruiting. Like the reason Stanford was good is because they were getting offensive linemen that were going the league every single year. Mm -hmm. You know, they had the best running back that's currently in the NFL on their team. Like they had Andrew Luck, like they were winning with a lot of talent. You can't do that at Rice. And so for me, that's that's been the experiment watching Mike Bloomgren, even before I had this job, just as somebody who's just like watching the football in the state. It's, wow, that's a hard way to win, and you're doing it at a university that already has a lot of obstacles. For me, that that's just a hard winning combination to where if it doesn't work this year, I would expect to Rice – I would expect Rice to go more on the fringes of offense, right? Whether that be complete spread amount, five wide receiver, let's throw the ball – like Zach Kitley type offense, or let's find somebody who could run the option, triple option, like an army Navy, you know, to try to make it up that way. I just don't know if this type of system is the way you can win at rice. And this year it's just, you know, for it to be a make or break year, like it's tough, right? Like they're, this is their first five games Mm -hmm. at USC versus at at home against McNeese state. So that's winnable, right? You're one and one. Then you're against Louisiana at Houston against UAB. Like mm. it's probably likely that Rice is one and four and we need to go, you know, need to win four out of our last six games to even get or five out of our last six games to even get to bowl eligibility, similar to what North Texas did. Mm-hmm. It's just hard for me to believe. It's just really hard the way the schedule works out at Rice because you're not going to go into conference with three wins like a lot of the power yeah. teams are, right? right? You're not even going to go into conference with two wins like a lot of the teams are. Like you're playing money games that you have to make to keep football afloat, but you're going to be one and three and it, it makes you 
you know, start conference play in such a hole that it's just hard for me. And I and I think Rice is a good football team this year. I think on paper they're much better than they have been over the last couple of years. Like their secondary is really good. The defensive line is going to be good. I think their offensive line is solid. Wide receivers are solid. But they don't have a consistent quarterback. And, and I just don't see how T.J. McMahon or Wiley Green just takes that next step and just elevates this program. It's hard to see a UTEP-type season where it goes from like three, four wins to seven. I just don't know if the schedule lines up that way. And if you're moving into a new conference, I just don't know if you can move into it with a coach on year five that hasn't had a winning season yet. I think when you mentioned recruiting, and, I, and I'm, I'm glad you did because when Bloomgren was hired and it, was, it became obvious that what they were going to go for was Stanford Light, which again, makes sense on paper, but in execution is very different. You mentioned Stanford getting those offensive line recruits and guys that eventually made the NFL. I'm not even going to mention the the skill positions because that obviously speaks for itself too. But just in terms of the offensive talent, offensive line talent, which is primarily what you need, you can you can make some pretty bad quarterbacks or average-ish running backs look pretty good if you're just clearing away for them, right? As we saw with Stanford, since Andrew Luck, Stanford hasn't had that consistent of quarterback play, but they've looked fine because they've had great offensive lines and good to great running backs. At right. How many schools in Texas are running power, right, at that level? Um, how many high schools, I mean? And so you're asking linemen who are used to the, you know, the camp circuit who probably have not put their, like, how many tackles in the state of Texas have put their hand in the dirt, right? Like, how many high-end tackles, even, go, like, like, how many of them, you know, have to go downhill, Right. It's all it's a lot of pass pro. It's a lot of zone blocking. It's a lot right. There isn't much hat to hat contact with a lot of these guys, obviously because of the camp circuit. But even the systems they are running in high school, like they're just not running that scheme anymore. And so you have to almost even if you do get a good offensive line prospect, you almost have to teach them all over again to be like, hey, here's how you run power. Here's how you run eye formation. Here's how you, you know clear the way here's how you run jumbo right like they don't run those jumbo packages anymore there's uh, every year around um around uh october whatever there's a new photo of stanford's jumbo package at the goal line where they have like seven linemen somebody lined up at fullback and so and it's like they don't run that <laughs> in here and so they're starting to, they're even stopping to uh they're not even running it as much in california where they used to with the west coast system and all that stuff um and so stanford's even struggling with it right now but yeah i agree like if you choose that, you have to basically really hyper-focus on guys that fit. And in Texas specifically, there just isn't that plethora of that type of lineman anymore. Because honestly, the game, you know, the game's just overall just changing. So. Well, there's not there's not those type of tight ends. You know, like yeah, go sure, find yeah. me an inline blocking tight end right, in high yeah. school football. Right. I was you about to say every every five stars like is is they're supposed to be built, you know, the new a new Kyle Pitts, right? That's the new tight end. Yeah, Jatavian Sanders. Yeah, exactly. You know, like those, those are what we consider tight ends in the state of Texas now. Like, go find me a fullback. Yeah. You know, like you can't. You're right. not going to. You're <laughs> Literally, going to have to go find a linebacker yeah. who's not fast <laughs> enough to play linebacker. Like, right. they're just like you said. There, there is just not those type of offenses in the state to be able to kind of go like cherry pick and be like, hey, I like this guy. I like this guy. He's being under recruited. Like, they don't exist here. And if you're going to, I, th I think the thing that we've learned with you know mcguire trailer these kind of guys like you got to do it in the way that the state you're playing in is doing it yeah. like you just do and if you're rice and you're already up against so many different dif disadvantages you can't add to them with your own system like you're picking 
that one, you know, like, and so uh, to me, it just, it's banging your head against the wall. It's square peg round hole stuff. Right. And and if it doesn't work on the field and you've given it years to work on the field, I just think as rice, you've got to go, okay, this traditional route is not working for us. We need to go find a different and more interesting way to get that talent on not only to campus, but to be successful once it is on campus because winning 17 to 14 is really hard. Mm -hmm. Like that, that takes so like, you got to be perfect. Like as soon as you start committing turnovers or having a bunch of penalties, like you're going to lose those close games. That's what happened to rice last year. They, they would have been six and six if they didn't shoot themselves in the foot so often. And so you just, you're, you're building your own lack of like margin for error. And, and to me, that's just fighting. It works smarter, not harder. Yeah. And I feel like right now Rice is trying to do it in a way that is a it's it's hard to even do it at Alabama. Like Nick Saban threw in the towel on that type yeah. of style of play. Like even Alabama was like, I don't know, man, we're making this a lot harder than we have to. What if we just have like a really good quarterback instead of Greg McElroy and we just spread it out and we score fifty points a game? Like that's gonna make our jobs easier. And we've seen that everywhere in college football. You can't tell me it's smart at Rice to do it the the exact opposite way. Like I understand trying to be the contrarian in the group, mm-hmm. but you have to be a contrarian in a way that's beneficial. And I don't see any evidence that their certain way of contrarianism right now is helping rice football at all. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and end it with this. What's the ceiling for this program as it moves to the AAC? Oof. I think it depends. I think it depends on what they're running, who they're running. You know, I, I think rice like obviously they're never going to be like year in year out conference championship level team, you know, like David Bailiff, like should have a statue for how, like for doing that at, at Rice and conference USA. Like, I don't think anybody appreciated how hard that is at the time when it's doing, but I do think this is a team that can c- compete for bowl games that can win six, seven, eight games a year can shock some teams can be one of those teams that you don't want to play because, you know, obviously they're going to have really intelligent, smart players. They're going to, they're not going to be idiots. Right. And so if you can, combine that with the scheme, the way that Army does, the way that Navy does, the way that Georgia Tech used to, the way that Western Kentucky did last year, right? If you can find a way to be unique, I think Rice can find its own identity and be a pretty good football team. But the way it's constructed right now, like to me, you're stepping out of Conference USA and you're going to the American. It's not going to get any easier. And so I don't know what the ceiling is as presently constructed. We may have already seen it. It may be you know, four and eight, five and seven, six and six. That may be it if they continue down this path. Yeah, I think that's about right. I think here's what I'll say about optimism for for Rice fans is that we've seen this done before in terms of like there's a evidence is we're saying that they're going to they could be Stanford light. Right. We are literally seeing it with Stanford, an academic institution that isn't winning 11, 12 games a year, but nobody in the Pac-12 likes playing them. Right. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, they've fallen off recently, but there was a long stretch over Jim Harbaugh through Jim Harbaugh to David Shaw, where you just hated playing Stanford. You knew exactly the brand that they had. It worked for them. Let's go to James Franklin in Vanderbilt right before he went to Penn State. Vanderbilt was like that weird team. We're like, how is Vanderbilt competing with the SEC? Right. Um, probably the most successful tenure I think we've seen in our generation has been. Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern, right? Like Northwestern's not a team that's going to win. They're going to flirt with 10 wins maybe every other year or so, right? They're going to be like, oh man, Northwestern, look at that team. Mm-hmm. But they're never going to bottom out either, right? Like they're never going to be a team. Like I think that's, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility in terms of ceiling for Rice, right? If you aspire 
to be a Pat Fitzgerald who is probably a career, what, just above 500 coach around there. But more or less, you can have an expectation of a bowl game. You know you're going to have some pretty bad pitfalls probably once every four years or whatever, right? You might win two to three games, but you know eventually you're going to build back up to that six, seven, eight win spot. I think that's fine. I really mm-hmm. think that that's something that I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility to be to, to aspire to be, right? To have a coach for multiple years that gets it done, that has a standard, that has a style, and they know all the pitfalls that go with recruiting, all that stuff. I I kind of envy programs at times like Northwestern who know what they are and who know that, hey, it's not it's not gonna get that much better than this. But they know that it's not gonna get it's definitely not gonna be, you know, we're not gonna be a a a, a doormat, right? And I don't know. I'm I'm a fan of colleges embracing what they are. Not everybody's going to win a national title, right? Not everybody's going to compete for a conference title every single year, year in, year out, whatever. But I do respect coach uh, programs that acknowledge what they are, have respectability to to have to be competitive, but aren't going to be like, wow, Mike Bloomgren hasn't won 11 games yet. Fire him. You know, like, wow, he's not consistently winning eight games. Fire him, right? No, I, I think I think that's what the hope was with him when they made this hire was like, he's somebody who's going to be keep us around five to seven wins every year, and then maybe flirt with nine or 10. Um, I think overall there is a ceiling there that is exactly that, right? Middle of the pack, punching upward uh, once every three years or so, getting to that, hopefully flirting with double digits or whatever. But I think that's a realistic possibility, but they have to find a model that works, right? Uh, uh, David Bailiff ran an offense that worked there. He was able to recruit to that. I think there, and David Bayless shows that there is, that that's a possibility that you can win a conference at Rice. Um, I just think they have to, overall, they have to figure out what that messaging is. Is it getting, is it going, is it going triple option? I don't know. I would love to see them embrace that. I know it's kind of, uh, uh, not everybody wants to embrace that model, right? Or embrace that uh, uh, way of playing, but sometimes you just got to. I don't know what it is, but I do think they have to embrace some style of football and go 110% in on it. Yep. Yeah, I think it's got to be option or spread. You know, sure. like yep. you got you got to pick one, and you just got to do it, even if it's like power spread, right? Like mm-hmm. you just have you have to go ba- where the Bailiff recruits are. And right now, Bailiff that's more seven on seven. Bailiff is more or less a power, uh, power spread coach, right? Yep. Yeah. All righty. So yeah, that, I mean that's basically it. I mean, like you mentioned, I think Rice is a good team this year. Um, we'll see again where that leads them. It's not an easy schedule. Uh, but I do agree that it is kind of an ultimatum year as well. Um, a lot of the stars align perfectly for them to make a move, whether it's to extend or to let Bloomgren go. Um, it'll depend basically on, I mean, we'll know by November, right? Mm-hmm. Like when it becomes clear that they're either not going to make a bowl or whatever, I think they'll make a move in November or if it be, or if they're still fighting, I think he'll, you know, he'll last the whole year. If they get to six, I think he does stay. Um, even if they get to five and they maybe miss out, one game or a close game or whatever out on a bowl. I think they, I think they might keep him, but um, yeah, I think overall it's a lot of soul searching this year for rice. Uh, I think they have to real, I think they have to reflect on if this direction is the one they want to continue to go or if somebody else has something in mind saying, okay, well let's actually try something different. Uh, Let's try, you know, this, this power football thing didn't work. Let's try the option. Let's try something else and see where that takes because yeah, man, AAC. It's not fun. It's not going to be fun. It's going to be a lot more competitive. Um, it's not going to be the AAC that we know now, but it's still going to be, you know, 
you're adding another in-state school like like SMU to the to the pile already, and yeah, you're adding Memphis as well. Mm-hmm. Like it's just the top gets the bottom may not get that much harder, but the top it just becomes Definitely that much does. more harder to yeah. compete. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, Rice and Texas State are in similar situations mm-hmm. as a team where you look at the roster and you're like, man. They are a lot better. Like, there's no denying that this roster is much better than the one Bloomgren inherited, just like Texas State's roster is much better than the one Spav inherited. Mm-hmm. But it's going to come down to quarterback play, right? Like, both of them just haven't had consistent quarterback play. You know, uh, Matthew mentioned in our interview that, you know, they, they've started 12 quarterbacks over the last three seasons. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it, it's absurd how many quarterbacks Rice has had to cycle through. Is Wiley Green consistent enough? Like, does he offer you the upside? Uh, to be the quarterback is TJ McMahon is, has he kind of gotten over some of the mistakes that he's prone to making? Like, I don't know. And if, if they can't figure out that spot, like you look at that schedule and I know they play a lot of games in Houston, but it's just hard to even like, where do you even pick the sixth game? Like, I don't know where you come up with the six wins unless that offense takes a big jump forward. And that's going to depend on the quarterback. And, and as a coach, right. I'd be scared to death knowing that I'm going into like a make or break year in my contract with quarterbacks that just are not yet proven at this level. And we just don't know what we're going to see from those teams until they step on the field. Will that tough schedule early on build some confidence or will it just completely crush the confidence of both of those quarterbacks? I don't know. And uh, it's going to be an interesting thing um, to follow because I really do think it's as simple as that. If Rice has above average quarterback play, I think they have a chance to get to six games and this conversation's moot. If they have quarterback play like they've had the last two or three years, like I don't know how they get above four and eight. And at that point, I just don't know how you continue with this trajectory. Yep. I agree. Uh, thank you again to Matthew Bartlett. I do have his Twitter now uh, at underscore M Bartlett underscore on Twitter. Thank you again for sitting down with us to chat about the owls. Uh, that'll do it for us. But Mallory, you said we had an announcement to make in regards to next week. We do. Next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Mark your calendars. We are going live. And not just, you're not just going to hear our voices. You're going to see us too. I've been working really hard on making graphics for us to be able to put cameras, put video to this. So make sure you tune in next week at 2 p.m. on Tuesday instead of Wednesday. And we're going to have our first live show ever with our new crew, I guess. I know we went live last year with Shahan, but this is our first live show. show, Yeah. Yeah. um, With our new crew. So, and we may have some surprises for you in store. So please make sure to tune in and comment what you think. Yeah. Uh, Like I said, we'll still be, we'll still be, we'll still put it out obviously on, on, uh, on all our, uh, podcast distributors yes. afterward but we will be doing that if you're familiar with what they do with tft every day mm-hmm. it'll be on facebook twitter youtube uh all that stuff so if you're following us if you're not following us any of those be sure to follow us so you can catch it live next week and yeah that'll be a thing going forward we'll be you know if, you, if you're tired of waiting for this to drop right you can just yep. watch it right when we right when we do it exactly uh, yeah and joe i want to obviously credit mallory because the intro looks great the graphics are going to look awesome uh, but I also apologize for me and Mike because we are not professionals when it comes to TV. So, <laughs> hey, we'll be, be fine. You will be seeing all of us in our uncut, <laughs> unprofessional uh, glory. So, yeah, me slouching, looking off to the side. I was about to say I'm literally slouching right now, and I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to yeah. change that. We might just have to adjust the camera to get me while I'm slouching. Yeah. So I'm not going to be able to just put the camera. the microphone on my stomach, you know, <laughs> just like. 
pivot one way or the other like it's gonna be i'm gonna have to wear real clothes like it's gonna be a whole adjustment oh yeah so but we are excited uh it's gonna be fun like yeah like mallory said be sure if you if you're gonna be watching be sure to comment we'll be doing you know i'm sure we'll be doing q a's and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff mm -hmm. as the as we get going but yeah we'll be starting that up and more or less, I mean, you know, the schedule, more or less, I'm assuming once a week-ish. Obviously, when the season yes. starts Sunday, Craven's going to be on the road, so we're not going to be doing that. But, you know, when we're all in the studio, we'll we'll preferably have it uh, live and on video. So, yeah, that'll be something to look forward to now. And yep. uh, be sure to tune in next week. Remember, next week, Tuesday. Yes. Tuesday at 2. Our normal time will still be Wednesday at 2. We'll still go live right. uh, at 2 on Wednesdays, but... For next week, it's different because we'll be leaving for seven on seven yep. on Wednesday. So. Yeah, we will. So, uh, with that being said, <laughs> not we. Oh you, yeah, us. sorry. Yeah, Craven. Me yeah, Craven's so happy to not be going <laughs> seven on seven next week. You're gonna be hopefully a little bit cooler than you are now. Uh, you'll definitely be cooler than us, so you can. Uh, I was about to say, yeah, feel we're much gonna, better. It's gonna be like about 100 that. degrees where we are. So no matter what, Craven's gonna exactly. be a lot cooler than where we are. So. Uh, yeah, we'll have that to look forward to next week. Um, but with that being said, thank you to Mallory, to Mike, and again to Matthew Bartlett from The Roost for sitting down and chatting with us. Remember, like, subscribe, all that stuff on iTunes, Spotify, and yeah, that'll do it for us. We will see you next week live. 2 p.m. on 2 Tuesday. 2 p.m. on Tuesday. See you guys then.